Okay, so here we are in Ezra. What has happened? The, the book right before this, it was Second Chronicles. At the end, Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles are the histories of the kings of Israel when there was a literal king on the throne of Israel. And uh, at the end of Second Chronicles, we see the last king, his name was Zedekiah. He was, um, uh, he was killed, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he had already come twice, and he came and destroyed uh, the, the temple, and he carried away the... Um, he carried away the, uh, for the third time, people from Israel um, to uh, Babylon, which was 900 miles away, and the land was really left desolate in many ways, but the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied that in 70 years they would come back. And it's hard to overemphasize the importance of this whole thing with the Israel being in the land, being exiled, and then coming back again. I mean, because uh, this really is the heart of God for his people, um, that when they rebel, uh, though they will be chastened, though they will be put in an exile of sorts, he loves them and he brings them back. Now, if you do a history of the sort of ethnic groups and the nations of the history of the world, this is just unique. It's just things like this have not happened with any other people group where they are taken away from their land, where they are scattered, um, forcibly scattered to, to many, many nations. In other words, separated. When I say scattered, I mean, you go here, you go here, you go here. Yet they um, um, come back together. And uh, that happened in 1948 after um, 2,000 years of, uh, of, of losing their, their land, their, the place of their land, Israel. Um, but it also happened here uh, 70 years after um, that first exile of Nebuchadnezzar the king of Persia announced that to the uh, Jerusalem, he gave a proc proclamation to the Jews, rather, and said, all of you who are Jews or whose heart God stirs, go back to um, Israel and rebuild the temple. The temple had been completely destroyed. It was just rubble. It was nothing but rubble. And he's saying, go back and build it. It just seemed like such a ridiculous thing, an impossible thing, particularly during the exile, that that, um, that rubble, that city that had been flattened, would ever again be rebuilt, particularly because the people were 900 miles away. There were some who were left in the land, but they were, um, they were the poor, they were the unskilled. There was no reason to believe um, it, would, uh, it would ever be happening again. And so... Um, but this proclamation um, was issued. 50,000 Jews went back. Um, they started building the temple. 
but the people of the land uh, didn't like what was going on, and they wrote to another ruler, another emperor, um, had, uh, had been, Cyrus had died, there was another emperor um, in power, and say, hey, these guys have a, they're building this wall, if you let them, they're building this temple, if you let them finish it and finish the city, they're going to rebel against um, you because they've rebelled against you in the past, they have a history of rebellion, don't let them um, continue. And so this, the new emperor just sort of bought it up, uh, Artaxerxes, he, he, he just um, believed everything that he heard and told him to stop, and so they did. They stopped, and 15 years goes by, and they had just camped out in the land, and they uh, actually prospered there. They built nice houses there. They earned a living there. They uh, had uh, whatever given their sons and daughters into marriage, and their families grew, but after 15 years, the Lord sent two prophets to them to basically say, tell them, what are you guys doing? I, I told you to build a temple. And that's where we begin in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So these two prophets had gone in, they, they began to go to the people, and, and tell them, listen, you, you need to rebuild. Uh, you, or rather, yeah, you need to rebuild the temple. That's why you were sent the, here. This, this is God's will. Um, it was prophesied uh, in the Bible that uh, by the prophet Jeremiah that you would um, return. You need to do it. And so Haggai uh, was the one who really got in their face and he said, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple is to lie in ruins? Is it really time for you people to be uh, just lazy spiritually? Um, the Lord has told you to do this. And uh, Ze Zechariah, on the other hand, uh, shared with them uh, visions of God, so they were two very different prophets, um, shared with them visions, and many of you are familiar with the, um, uh, many of you are familiar with the, uh, the verse, I put it up on the projection screen last Sunday, uh, Zechariah 4, uh, verse 6, not by might, not by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You see, it's very easy to get discouraged when all you see is a pile of rubble like maybe this really isn't the lord maybe this isn't and uh so they were basically easily convinced to stop 
Because what happened again, that, that Artaxerxes sent them a letter, no, stop the building. Uh, they never should have done so. Anytime, we, this is where we left off a couple weeks ago. Anytime you are told to do something that God has told you to do, there will be opposition. And I, I've, I've shared all the opposition that happened with us when we, uh, uh, be, you know, when we began the church. And I, I say this a lot. There was more opposition in the first two years than all the other years combined. In the first two years. Um, it, and, it, you know, it would just weird unbelief coming into my heart. Twice, two different people um, came to me that, and said that they were supposed to take over the church. And someone in the family almost died. And uh, it was an exceedingly difficult time. I, I've, I've shared this before, that um, I sh I've shared this before with the church, but um, in that first year, year and a, uh, two years of the church, one morning, just out of nowhere, just out of nowhere, on a Monday morning, I opened up the Bible. You know, this is whatever. Don't get too worried. This is like 18 and a half years ago. I opened up the Bible. I'm, I'm like, none of this is true. None of this is true. This is all made up by human beings, a bunch of men. Why do I believe this? Now, I'm a pastor of a church at this time. <laughs> this is not how pastors are supposed to be thinking. We're about a, I think it was something like 15 months into the church or something like that. And, and uh, I panicked because I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, this, 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 this Bible has brought me from being a person who is a mental basket case to a stable human being. If none of this is true, I'm in big trouble. So I, I, I really... I really went into a big, big panic. I was, uh, what is going to happen to me? I can't be a pastor. I'm going to have to step down and, and this type of thing. And some of you have heard the story. What happened was um, somewhat, we had a midweek service at that time on a Wednesday night. Um, and this is going on with me. And I, I went to work at a full-time, where I worked four days a week at the time. I just tried to work. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And someone else, I don't know what happened, but someone else was teaching midweek. And I wasn't there. And I got up the next day. And it was, we were doing cassettes at the time. This is how long ago. I put the cassette of the guy who spoke the night before. Before It was Kirk Delaney. And he, in the middle of the message, he goes, what would happen if Pastor Steve got up here and he said he didn't believe any of this in the Bible? What would you guys do? And right there, in that instant, I'm like, wow. God told him to say that. God knows exactly what's happening with me right now. And it was just, it was so miraculous. And, and, and like, poof, like, snap of a finger, I was out of it. And... I went to my own pastor, Pastor Randy, and I called him to tell him what happened to me, and I thought he was going to ask me to step down from being a pastor. I said, this is what happened to me. At the beginning of the week, I opened up the Bible. I didn't believe any of it. I thought it was a total fable. Uh, and he said, yes, the Lord does that. He will take away even your faith so you understand not even that's from you. It's from the Lord. I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. And then I just continued on. But just so much opposition. Uh, 
and um, people trying to take over the church, crazy stuff happening. Um, um, just, uh, again, illness in the family, which was exceedingly silly, um, serious, um, almost lost a family member. And so um, that's what happened when they started building the temple. God told them to build the temple. And some people show up and say, stop, and they stopped. So I'll, I'll start off today just like I finished a couple weeks ago. When God tells you to do something, don't stop. Continue on. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that happen. And I, I, I tell leaders, by the way, who were getting into leadership for the first time, totally expect craziness to happen in your life. Complete opposition. People who love you telling you not to do this. And, and, and sure enough, um, so many times it happens. Uh, but by the, by the grace of God, God, God sends prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. They're a gift. You know, pastors and preachers are gifts from God. They are. They prophesy. And the prophecy here, we always think of predictive prophecy. They get something about in the future. A lot of what Haggai and Zechariah did was the, the present. Like, get off your rear ends and start doing what God has told you to do. That's what a prophet does. A teacher just transfers information from one person to another. But a preacher who prophesies preaches truth into your life and what is going on now for the purpose of exhorting you, building you up, getting you to repent, or continue on and doing the work uh, that you are doing. And so uh, uh, it says that verse 2, Zerubbabel got up and they basically obeyed them. And this is like a big time uh, step of faith here. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anyone who believes him must, anyone who um, seeks him must believe that he um, exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Zerubbabel knew because he was there when the letter was issued by the king, stop, but he got up and started anyway. And that's how faith is. You, you proceed in the faith in the face of circumstances that are against what you are, um, you've been uh, called to do. It says, verse 3, At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? And so, uh-oh, we're in trouble again. We better just stop what we've been told to do. And, um, but this time it was different, different. It says, but then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. So basically in verse four, they had to give up the names Another okay, these people are going to be in big trouble. Who's the the names that they are giving um, up? But they obeyed it. They gave him the names. But it says, but the eye of their 
of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. You know, I, I love Psalm um, 32. Psalm 32, verse 7, um, says this. It, uh, rather, Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. I will guide you with my eye. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting verse, right? And what it means is that when we're in tune with the Lord, we were talking about this on Sunday morning, we know what he's telling us to do. I will guide you with my eye. In other words, any motion of what the Holy Spirit, we, we know the motions. So go to the right, go to the left, go forward. I will guide you with my eye. Again, it says the eye, verse 5 of Ezra, Ezra 5, the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. In other words, they just continued forward because they knew the Lord was telling them to continue and they knew they would have the protection of the Lord the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews Psalm 34 says the eye of the Lord is on the righteous his ear is attentive to their cry did you know that the eye of the Lord is on you and the ear of the Lord is attentive to your cry but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil Psalm 34 says but sometimes it looks like oh, well it looks like evil stronger than me so i should stop no continue forward what god has told you to do it says um that they could not make them cease till a report could go to darius then a writing rather than a written answer was returned concerning this matter Verse 6, this is the copy of the letter that Tatnai sent. So he's sending this to Darius, Persian emperor. The governor of the region beyond the river and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. They sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the providence of Judea to the temple of the great God which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls and this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Uh, then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer saying, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who was destroyed this, who destroyed this temple and carried the people 
away to Babylon. And so in verse 12, it says, it's, it's, it's important that you see this here. When they were confronted, they didn't try to, to, um, to get away from their own responsibility. I mean, they didn't try to blame shift. You know, we, they didn't try to say, oh, yeah, the temple was destroyed because we were wronged in so many ways. It was our fault. And, and it, they, they take ownership of the fact that this temple was broken. You might have thought they would have said, you know, it was really unjust what happened. It never should have happened, and therefore we are building it. They could have easily said something like that. I just talk to people all the time, confronting, part of the job of a pastor is confronting of sin, and I tell you, it's not encouraging when people start to blame shift, but it happens on a regular basis. They start to blame whatever, their parents or other people in the church, but sometimes it's, guess who? Me. <laughs> they blame me. And, it's, and you know something good is going to happen when someone starts talking like this. It was our fault. It says, because, verse 12, we provoked the God of heaven, Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed the temple. Honesty and truth. See, again, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sometimes faith just is... Telling the truth. If I tell the truth here, I'm going to get in trouble. If I tell the truth here, I'm not going to get my way. If I tell the truth. But that's living by sight. Living by faith is, I'm going to tell the truth because the Bible says, swear to your own hurt, meaning tell the truth even when it hurts, and I'm going to leave the rest of God. It's his responsibility. It's his problem. The truth ultimately is God's problem, right? And so... They tell the truth. We rebelled. It's our fault. It was destroyed. Verse 13, however, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. And that's in Ezra chapter 1, first few verses. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon whose king Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one name, Sheshbazar, which that's like the pagan name for Zerubbabel, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, Take these articles, go, carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, but from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and it is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king, and, and, and so he finished, that's the end of the quotations. That's the explanation the Jews had given this man, Tatnai. And so 
Verse 17 picks up again with Tatnai speaking to the king, King Darius. Now therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in the Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. So to this guy Tatnai's credit, he actually... It's fair here. He tells them he could have gone back and just not told them a thing. Not told them a thing about um, what he had said, what the Jews had told him. He could have just gone back and said, here they are rebelling again. Uh, King Artaxerxes told them to stop and they're going again. But he, he actually gives them their response, and even more, he takes a step further. He says, King, go look at the records. Go look at the scribes and what they wrote. See if King Cyrus ever did do this thing. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1, Then King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon, and at Akmetha in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found. And in it, a record was written thus. And so here's the original record. Which, by the way, written by a pagan king. I say this all the time. God has resources we know nothing about. I, I, who would have thought a pagan king is going to say, Jews, Go back to Babel, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But when we trust in the Lord, we, we just got we, we, we to trust in the Lord, believing what he do, um, is going to, that, that what he has said that he will do. And Jeremiah had said 70 years, the exile was going to be over. And so they stayed faithful to their God. A number of the Jews did, many of them did. And lo and behold, Cyrus says this. So this is the original proclamation. Let's read it. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt. The place where they offered sacrifices and let the foundation of it be firmly laid, its height 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits. Notice there, it doesn't use the word temple, it uses the word house. That is also the case, by the way, in the New Testament. They just call the temple the house in the Gospels. And I like that because it really is the house of God. It's where the house of God dwelt. He, he was in the holiest of holies. He, um, he dwelt there. The house of God. Verse 4, with three stones... With three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber, let the expense be paid from the king's treasury. Is that me? That was an old ring I had. Verse 5. Also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought up to Babylon be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, its place, and deposit them in the house of God. Now therefore Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, and 
Shethar Bosnai and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river. Keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God, of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the of Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree. So this is King Darius issuing a decree because he had found that decree of Cyrus, an earlier emperor, that said, yes, do this. And verse 80 says, Moreover, I issue this decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of the house of God. Let the cost be paid at this king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And so here you have it. This is called the favor of God. Not only is he saying, yes, they can continue their rebuilding. We'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. Tax the land and give them the money to do it. Again, God has resources we know nothing about. He, he does more than we ask or ever imagine, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. And here he's doing, and that's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to do more than you ask or even imagine. But it really, brothers and sisters, takes you walking by faith. That's not running. It's walking. It's just continue in spite of your circumstances to put one foot in front of the other and not stop. He will do more than you ask or ever imagined. So he's going to pay for it. Verse 9. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the requests of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. So now this is probably just superstition on his part. And there's probably a selfish motive here. He's not a believer in Yahweh. He's not a Jew. He's not a He's not a converted Jew. He's, this man, is a, he's a pagan king, but the Lord's going to use all that. Whatever his motives is, God is using it to rebuild the temple. And then, really sweetly, he says, also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. Sorry, that's not sweet. That's like what these ancient kings used to do. Pull a piece of wood from his own house and hang him on it. So he's really serious about this. He's really serious about this edict. And then just destroy the whole house. Make it a refuse heap. Verse 12, And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God 
which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. And so, wow, you talk about a turn of events. You know, when whatever it was, 800 years earlier, something like that, when the Jews came from the wilderness into the promised land, God says, just cross the Jordan. And he said to the priests, you go first and just put your feet in the Jordan. And when they put their feet in the Jordan, the Jordan parted. And, and that's what walking by faith means. It, it sometimes means you have to put your feet in the Jordan to see the Jordan part. Do you ever wonder why is it that God wants us to live by faith? Is he a sadomasochist or something? I mean, why does he insist on that? I mean, why doesn't he just, why can't we just walk by sight? Why, why is it having to walk by faith where, okay, we know his will, but the circumstances say, look like this is crazy, why does he ask us to walk by faith? And I believe the answer is when we're walking by faith, we are in that close communion and relationship with God. If he gave us a crystal ball and told us about the future, this is exactly what's going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. And it always did. Boom, 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 boom. Guess what? We wouldn't spend any time with the Lord. We wouldn't be seeking him. We wouldn't be close to him. We wouldn't be drawing near to him. When, when we don't know how we're going to get from point A to point B, if you're doing what the Bible is telling you to do, you're getting closer to God than you ever have been, when you have no clue. Of course, you can just be given over to anxiety and worry and, 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 and fret and, you know, but what is it, Psalm 37, do not fret. It leads only to evil. It's not going to do you any good. But, but it, it, when you get to the point where you're, you're, you're casting your anxiety that's aside and just going to the Lord and saying, I have no idea how I'm going to get to point B here. All the circumstances are against me. And you just continue along that vein uh, just believing day to day, having faith, maybe staying in a job. I, 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 for years, you know, um, in the workforce, I had favor with all my bosses. I can, I can say I only had one boss when I was out in the, what you would call the secular workforce, even though it's, it's a full-time, I believe every job is a full-time job, but I only had one that completely turned against me that, it, to the point where you know, I came into work. This guy despises me. This is not easy. I hate this. And it really, you know, other, I had other job opportunities at the time. I could have just left and run away. The Lord says, no, you got to stay there. And I'm telling you, every single day, it was like having to give my day to the Lord. And it was a close time with God because I was walking by faith. Walking by sight, it wouldn't be. Just, I just go and I, you know, I can get another job. 
I had opportunities. It would not have been hard. And then, you know, uh, 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 eventually, <laughs> I won't give you the whole story, but uh, um, eventually, after like eight months, this, this, this boss of mine called me into his office and said, because I was working four days a week, and he says, unless you go back to five days a week, you, you have to, um, you can't work here anymore. And I'm a pastor at a church at the time. And I said, with all reverence, really, I said, I was polite to him. I said, well, okay, I guess I can't work here because I need to go to three days a week because the church was growing at the time. And within 10 days, I had another job. And within two months, I was making more at that job three days a week than I was making at the, <laughs> the job uh, uh, four days a week. You just got, you got to live by faith. But I got to tell you, during that period of time, um, during that period of time, it was hard working for that, for, for that man. Even though, even to, even to this day, I do have a lot of respect for him. And he came back at a, at a later time, um, and uh, he called me on the phone at a later time. He actually wound up losing his job, called me on the phone, and said, I just want you to know, I've always considered you a friend. Like what? Um, I didn't say that, but but it, 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 he just the integrity of consider of working for him and continue to work, but the, but for him really was was a time of great faith and drawing close to the Lord. See, if God gives you a crystal ball, all you're going to want to look at is the crystal ball. You're not going to want God Himself, and so. Here they are in the face of um, really, really hard circumstances. They start building again, and they get back an answer that's more than they could ask or ever imagine. And it says, verse 13, Tadnai, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So somehow they had gotten favor from three different kings, three different emperors. You know, from time to time, when there's someone in our life who's sort of blocking, seems to be blocking the will of God in our life or troubling, or troubling us, I, 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 re I recently was in a phone call where there, there was a pastor um, and who's having some issues. Uh, he, he's wanting to go forward and do something, but, and, and, and I wasn't there for the conversation, but the quote was that his wife said, well, I trust God, but I don't trust you. And that's how we are very many times. It's like we say we trust God, but there's some people in our lives that seem to be blocking 
what we want God to do. And so I trust God, but I don't trust them. But the whole point is God has control over them. You have to trust that God has control of these people who are creating issues for you in your life. And so that was why they, they stopped in the first place. Fifteen years went by. Lots of weeds. Lots of weeds went up over that, over that, that, um, that area that they, they had built the foundation. But I guarantee you, it probably took a month to undo all the overgrowth and the stuff that had happened in a 15-year period. I remember when we were building, we built our house in Mission Hill, and um, a builder came in didn't, uh, to do the foundation, didn't know what he was doing, dug a hole, left, and the thing was like, the rain got in it, and it was like a green moss and all kinds of gross stuff. And that was just three or four months of a summer in Boston. And that had to be cleared out. Can you imagine 15 years? 15 years they waited. 15 years they just chased after money. They built paneled houses, according to Haggai. They, they lived a comfortable life. They, they just... Uh, you know, they, they, they said, you know, I'm just going to kick back. I'm not going to do the will of God. I'm just going to, you know, God likes family, so I'm going to raise my family. I'm not going to serve the Lord. Fifteen years went by. But by the grace of God, God sends, sends uh, two prophets here, prophesies to them. They start doing it, and it gets done. It says they finished it. Verse Now in Nehemiah, by the way, when Nehemiah is the next book, it's about rebuilding the walls. There's a lot of, there's like chapters dedicated to you actually seeing them build the wall. We don't really know a lot about what they did. All of a sudden the thing is done. Now the, again, now the temple was finished. On the third day of the month of Adar, verse 15, which was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this, of this house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God. 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all, the, uh, all Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Now it's interesting, this, so this is the second temple. It's what's known as the second temple. First one was built by Solomon. And the size of this offering here in verse 17 is a tiny fraction of what the, offer, the, the dedication was um, during Solomon's time. The country was spectacularly wealthy and prosperous when the first temple was dedicated. These guys are just, they're not even, they don't even, they're not even control of their own country. There's no Jewish king here. Other kings control this area. The next time there's really going to be a Jewish king is when Jesus is ruling. And it's, it's essentially a ragtag operation. I don't want to uh, 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 trivialize it or marginalize it compared to what Solomon had. Solomon had just unbelievable resources. I don't know if you guys remember that whole building press. What was it, like 50,000 burden bearers or something like that in the mountains just doing work on the temple? 
And, and you know, this is a much humbler thing, although a couple, what is it, like 300 years later, Herod, the king, is going to really improve upon it. But, you know, this is, uh, this, is, um, this is done at a time where, you know, the, 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 the people, if the nations are looking on, they're not an impressive bunch of people. Like when Solomon dedicated the temple, that was one impressive nation, the nation of Israel at the time. It's the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And here you just, these are a ragtag bunch compared to them. But Haggai says this, the prophet Haggai told him, there's going to be a greater glory in this temple. And there was. Why? Because Jesus Christ he went right into the temple when he came into Jerusalem after his public, he had been to the temple as a young kid, but um, after his public ministry started and he went to Jerusalem, Jesus Christ would go into this temple. And to me, you know, I look at Solomon and I know that it's clear that the Lord ordered that temple to be built. The Lord gave the instructions for it. But man has a way of building a kingdom. You know, with, there was all kinds of gold. Remember, during the life of Solomon, there was so much gold that silver was as nothing. The entire temple inside was, was paneled with gold, overlaid with gold. But it all comes to naught. The second temple, however, Jesus comes in and eventually establishes a kingdom that will never end. A, a, such a more glorious, such a more glorious kingdom that it, it, the rubble that resulted after that last Jewish king Zedekiah rebelled, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in, flattens Jerusalem, burns down the temple, flattens the the temple. That's the best man can do with man's resources. It's so important to understand that. Second Corinthians, you've, you, we, can hardly, we can hardly read the verses enough. But in chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sakes. Wow, do you come to a good place in your life when you take pleasure in your weaknesses, in your distresses. By the way, this is not a fable. I, I know what this is like. It's that sense of, wow, I'm in distress, but this is a powerful place I'm in right now. I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
for when I am weak, then I am strong. So they build it in weakness, and what's going to happen this, in this temple, just like Haggai said, is going to be so much more glorious than the first temple, even though this one eventually was destroyed, but not before a new kingdom was established uh, that, will, that will never end. Verse 18, they assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. So they keep the Passover now. You remember that feast? We've talked about it so much. The celebration of the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So they've been delivered now from Babylon and they're, they're, they're celebrating it there. Verse 20, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Verse 21, then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. What's that about? It says, the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. So it appears that, remember, some of the Israelites had stayed behind. Some of them did. We read that in, I think, in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, that some stayed behind. And they had, it appears what this means here is that the, the, the two groups of people are coming together. The people who had returned from captivity and the people who had already there, but the people who had, who, or rather who had stayed there, but the people who had stayed there had joined together from the filth of the nations of the land in order to, uh, it, from the filth of the nations of the land, uh, but it was required that those people who had stayed behind to leave, whatever practices they were doing, because I guess what had happened is that they had lowered themselves to do that which the nations that surrounded them were doing, and, and so they had to repent and come out of that in order to uh, celebrate together with themselves. And so, um, just, just so, such an important principle that um, the basis of the unity here is what? Separation from the filth of the nations. There is such, in other words, the basis of the unity is holiness. The basis of the unity is this. And so, so oftentimes what, what, 
what happens um, in churches is that, you know, the nations are doing one thing, the community, the world is doing one thing, so we got to lower ourselves a little in order to have unity to them, in order to, in order to get to them. Well, we can't, we're not going to get, we're not going to have any power, we're not going to be able to, to, to draw people in with compromised lives. We have to stick with just the word of God here. They separated themselves from the filth of the nations. They didn't try to say, well, you know, we're going to make ourselves a little bit more attractive to the nations if, if we just keep a little of the filth. No, they, they separated it completely. So important that you stay with the word of God. We're just so grieved um, to hear recently that um, uh, there was there was a couple who who came to our church and they said the reason they came to our church because the church they they were they had been going to had just affirmed same-sex marriage and the pastor of that church I used to pray with him on a regular basis so pray for me because I really feel like the Lord wants me to write to to that man and it's a very well attended church by the way yeah, but 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 apparently he if this is true and I want to confirm confirm that it is apparently the logic is listen we need to we need to lighten up on how strict we are with the word of god and when we lighten up a little with our strictness we're going to get a we're going to get more people. So the point is, unity, the basis of unity is not holiness. The basis of unity is, well, we've got to also give them, give a little rope to them in some, some areas, including that one. And all that's going to happen in the end is they are going to fail. Eventually, they'll fail. People will scatter. They will fail. Um, because when you put leaven, when you mix leaven with the Word of God, the leaven just tends to spread, and eventually it's just affecting every, everyone. And so um, it says that the people seeking the Lord God of Israel, in verse 21, were those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations, meaning they were committed to following the word of God. And remember what got them in, exiled in the first place. It, the, the word of God became trivialized. And so that's why God gave them over to judgment by Nebuchadnezzar and others who wind up judging them. Verse 22 says, And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. I tell you, you obey the Lord, and eventually you will be in a place of great joy. For the Lord had made them joyful. Don't you like that? He made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Syria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. 